Welcome back, everyone, to Archercast number 89. This is very strange. For those of you seeing this on the recording in March, um, it's probably going to look normal, but we are also doing this uh, live on Ollie's Instagram. I've already given you an idea of who is today's episode is with. Uh, last week, we were with QMS talking about um, assurance of, of meat products here in Scotland. And today we've got one of the biggest social media stars in this picture, I think it'd be fair to say, uh, in Ollie Harrison or Ollie Blog contra Contracting as, as he goes by. Um, Ollie, do you want to say hello? Yeah, hello everyone on Instagram. I'm not sure, it says 67. Does it say the same for you or 65 or something? Yeah, or is it... yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's obviously 65, 66 people watching at the same time. Well, this is this is certainly a first for me, mate. I know you do this quite often. I've done the odd Instagram live, but I've certainly never done both. So currently in front of me is an iPhone filming an Instagram live and the iPad filming uh, the, the recording for, for YouTube and Spotify. But Ollie, do you want to give us a bit of background about yourself? What's your sort of background? Are you from a farm originally? Just before we get started with another episode of the R2Cast, I would like to thank our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. Aplan Rural are heavily involved on the social media scene in the ag space with 120,000 followers on Instagram. They use this following to host social media takeovers with farmers throughout the country to showcase their stories. They also post to their rural community blog with further stories about these people in the industry. On top of this, they like to support initiatives that are championing the British agricultural industry, such as myself. So thank you to Aplan Rural for that. Yeah, so I was I was born here where I am now, uh, forty two years ago now. Um, <laughs> all I ever wanted to do was farm. I, I went to school, left at sixteen, didn't want to carry on into further education because I just thought it sounded more like school. Uh, we had a guy that worked for us, and he retired the year before I left school. So uh, my dad was on his own, sort of for the, like the last year. So I I left, and um. Yeah, obviously the last year of school is not a long year because you do your exams and you're kind of done at May, aren't you? So, uh, yeah, come straight back to the farm. We had some beef cattle then and we grew potatoes. Wasn't interested in, in cows. I thought they just used to eat shit and break things. Um, didn't really like growing potatoes because some years we lost money. They were quite labour intensive. Um, so we sort of got rid of them as well and got rid of the cows, I think about 15 years ago and converted the barns that they lived in into office space because the barns that they lived in were brick barns they were designed for shire horses back in the day they weren't actually designed for beef cattle and if when you're saying you didn't like the idea of potatoes you didn't like the idea of beef um was it starting to look when you left that maybe this wasn't for you or were you always wanting to jump in and see sort of changes you could be made well the thing with the potatoes was um the supermarkets basically sell everyone the potatoes now the local sort of corner shops and green grocers that used to buy 10 20 bags a day or whatever or a week just were disappearing and there wasn't many of them left so you had to get big and start doing it for the crispers you know growing for the likes of mccain or walkers or whatever or or get out really and we didn't we didn't have the best land type for potatoes either you know ours is predominantly heavy we do have some light stuff now but back then we didn't have the good enough soils really as well to be competitive and how, how big is the farm? Uh, we we When I left school, it was about 180 acres. We now farm, depending on the season, about 1,400 acres that we drill and combine. And then we combine for a neighbour as well, about, depending on the season, about 800 acres as well. So. 
and and what is that you've moved into away from potatoes into what specifically? All combinable crops, so wheat, barley, beans, oilseed, rape, and obviously some sunflowers as well. And you don't miss beef cattle at all? No. <laughs> no, you've not a bit, no? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, did, you move, did you move into the contracting side first or move into the farming side and then move over contracting a bit as well? You no, know, so obviously like I like tractors and um, you can't justify buying new tractors on 180 acres. So... I used to do a bit of contracting um, just through people I'd met through young farmers really and things and then more people you know going further and then I started getting some pretty specialist kits like forestry mulches when no one else had one you know one pass seeding drilling spading machines when no one else had them I was always looking for like the next the next thing rather than doing what everyone else is doing try and find something that that no one was and then you could sort of probably make a little bit more money um used to do quite a lot for the local authority hedge cutting grass cutting um tree work forestry sort of mulcher clearing like so years ago they had this thing called the mersey forest where they planted thousands of trees and you know the, I think the local council got 150 pound every time they planted a tree but what they did was they spent 150 pound planting a tree not 50 pound plant the tree and 100 pound to maintain it for the next 10 years so they ended up with all these overcrowded sort of like public open spaces with trees that were full of litter and fly tipping and we went in and kind of thinned them all out. And I was, we used to do it with chippers and chainsaws. I thought, this is hard work. So I bought a forestry mulcher that would do, do the job of like 10 men, really. in, in a, 10 men in a day and doing an hour. So got quite a lot of work by saving them money, really. And then I was obviously making good money because we were just using the right machine for the job. And then as sort of time went on, you could kind of see like the recession coming and the council's not having as much money. You'd go and look at jobs and you'd price them and then they'd, you'd go back a few weeks later and they decided they only wanted a small bit doing and stuff. And then at the, at the same time, I was buying machinery and tractors and, and looking for more land all the time. So we just got to the point where they, we, we had enough land to sort of be sustainable without having to do the contracting with the, with the local authorities. Uh, combine combine and I've always been something that I've done a little bit of contracting in because it's it's always justified a bigger machine to be able to use in the wet northwest of England but it's not I wouldn't call myself a, much of a contractor now it's just that was the name I had years ago AgriContract was the YouTube channel and I've kind of kept it <laughs> yeah well that was I guess that was sort of the thing I asked you probably off camera um about that uh, did would you say you sort of miss the contracting side or is it better being on your own bit with yes a bit here and there or do you, did you quite like the sort of mix of the two? No, I didn't really like it. <laughs> it's just just a means to an end. You know, the, the, yes, you could make good money um, if you were in the right place at the right time with the right stuff. But agricultural contract is hard because everyone wants you on the same day. Uh, working for a local authority is a lot easier because there's more money. Well, I'm not going to say it's easier because there's more money to be made, but there is slightly more money to be made outside of ag you know, like amenity contracting. But there's a lot more hoops to jump through and you, a lot of messing around. I mean, it, you know, at one point, I just basically drove around to pick up pricing jobs and running jobs rather than actually doing work myself. And um, I used to always do all the invoicing myself then because I enjoyed that bit because it felt like I'd achieved something rather than just driven around all day and not actually got my hands dirty or whatever. Um, but no, I, I don't really miss contracting at all. I mean, I do, the most contracting I do now is obviously cutting 800 odd acres for Bill next door but our land is all interlinked and we work really well together. And when he approached me and said, would I do it for him? I was like, well, we need to get the, the logistics right. You know, 
the combine's capable of doing it, but we need some decent trailers and we need to have a conjoined effort. So we went and bought some big trailers. And then to the first, well, second year, we kind of cut his corn. We He helped us cart our grain and we helped him cart his grain and we, we just run the harvest as, as one harvest. And that's how it's gone now for the last, I don't know, four or five years maybe. And there's always that sort of crossover um, between yourselves. Is it just is it just you on the farm at home or is there others involved? No, so my me, me dad still comes outside and gets in the way a little bit. And he, he we have a biomass boiler, so that's his thing. He looks after that. So we have to dedicate pretty much a telly on the full time to my dad to drive that for when he needs to. <laughs> Otherwise, his arguments. Um, and then we've got uh, Robin that's sort of like a trained sort of mechanic. So he, he's here. And another lad, Andrew, that's like, I'd say the main tractor driver, the farm manager, whatever you want to call it. He, you know, he does most of the arable operations. So... He he's, he does all the drilling. He's currently doing all the fertilizer, and then I've got Ian that's that's like multi-skilled really. So Ian spent ten years working in the university doing web design, and ten years selling car parts online. But I've known him, you know, all in all that time. And and when Christine left last year, he I thought he's got the right skill set, and I was looking for someone. So I, I rang him up and said, "Do you want a job?" And he packed up what he was doing because he he specialised in one particular car that there's not that many about now. So he came on board and it's great because I can just say let's do this and let's put this on a website and he just gets on with it and he understands all the, the red tractor and the audit stuff for the commercial store that we run because he said it's a doddle compared to uh, Ofsted which is what he used to do in the college oh really? yeah so yeah. he's doing <laughs> well doing it well yeah that's it's, it's someone that yeah, um, yeah quite a lot of fans and you know like folks in they're big fans um, also got someone trying to sell tractors as well so if you're needing a tractor I can only see people it's just keep saying people have joined is it? I can't see many questions There's, well I say I, I say lots in fairness just more than I'm used to seeing coming through a live because um, right. <laughs> <laughs> in fairness that might be you know I could probably speak in a live for five minutes is it like TikTok where people click like the more people see it or do you not like that <laughs> There's like wee hearts bumping up and there's also people trying to ask to join in, but and we're not going to do that. Sorry if you are asking to join in. Um, but uh, yeah, what I tell you what, at some point throughout, we'll try to go through a few things that I've got sort of jotted down so we can try and keep some kind of normality to the podcast that I'll be releasing as well. But if you're still here at the end, um, if you have any questions for Ollie, drop them in, but we'll don't drop them in now because I'm never going to see them. So uh, we can do that. Yeah, You've got to stay to the end before you're allowed <laughs> to ask a question. That's it. Get those views. If you, if you don't eat your main, you can't have a dessert. <laughs> <laughs> got to finish all them greens. Um, yeah, one one thing I quite like to ask folk, Ollie, that are, are sort of in an area that's not what I am, is is um and I, and you're on the arable side as well, which is which is a, a side of agriculture. I'm, I'm not working in much myself at all. What what sort of have have where where are prices in the arable world world at the minute? I assume your inputs are through the roof, but I don't know what the other side is. <clears throat> so we've been spreading fertilizers a day, and the inputs for that are through the roof. You know, I'm putting fertilizer on at seven hundred eighty pound a ton. The annoying thing is it now has dropped to around 450 a ton. But last June, when I had to order it to make sure I got it, I didn't know. So we've been spreading the most expensive fertiliser we've ever had. And every time the spreader leaves the yard, it's got £2,000 in it. Comes back 45 minutes later empty. Um, prices of wheat are not where they should be. Don't get me wrong, wheat at £235 a ton does sound a good price when you know we've seen prices of 150 in the last sort of 18 months and even you know in the last 10 years prices are 60 60 pounds 70 pound a ton but when diesel is two or three times the price fertilizer is 
three <coughs> times the price. Grain just being up 30-40% isn't ideal. Yeah. The and... risk is very high now. Like you, we, we, We've had two droughts potentially in the last three years that have cost me a lot of money. Did last summer hit you big time, drought-wise? Yeah, you could kind of draw a line through the farm. So like three quarters of the farm didn't catch a shower of rain in June. Quarter of it did. And, you know, there's a ton of yield difference for them. What, yeah, I mean, maybe you don't want to go into sort of certain figures, but what sort of changes were you seeing? Yield well, I, I reckon last harvest by not having rain in June cost me 250000 and something similar in 2020. So quite a, a notable change. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, definitely. Do, do you, fertilizer's the big one at the minute and diesel, isn't it? Do you, do you see them, you, you, as you're saying, they're, they're down again, in particular fertilizer at the minute, but do you see it going to a stage where it, it makes sense and it actually works with the price of wheat or, or do you see us ever getting to that stage? It kind of does. So the, I always sell wheat the day I buy fertilizer to lock in. So when I bought that fertilizer that was going to cost me 90 grand, I sold wheat that day to the value of 90 grand. Some was £345 a tonne. Some the next week was £325 a tonne, and I bought some more for it then. So you can kind of say uh, it's not that bad. I've hedged it. Um, it used to be for every pound you spent on fertiliser, you got 10 back. Now it's probably every pound you get three back. But it's straight out of our sort of potential profit margin. And the annoying thing is you might spend £1,000 a hectare growing wheat to then find that, it's it, you're not going to get four tons of the hectare. Yeah, yeah, this is what you need. You know that that's the thing. It's probably about eight hundred pound a hectare, and um, you don't know that until June. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. You know, you can have stunning looking crops that you you know, or you can have crops that look awful, and you think, well, we won't push them. There's no potential. But like last year, we had some good looking crops, and you know, we were thought we were going to have a decent harvest, and we just didn't get that rain and we got these stupid high like 30, was it like 30 degrees in end of May beginning of June and yeah. 7 or something and wheat's just switch off and that's that you you were probably a bit higher than us but I mean I know past the time it matters I guess for wheat but I'm pretty sure in England they were hit, like more south than you are but hitting like 40 uh, not 40s but high 30s I think yeah no? yeah yeah I think that was probably the, that, that was when we'd got cut in the yield had been set a bit earlier than that but when we were cutting OSR there was two really hot days I think they were 37 degrees both hot days they ended up actually fixing a combine on them days Mate, if you put me a Scots in over 14 I'll burn up <laughs> never mind well, yeah. I, I, you know they were talking about these really hot days and like oh we might have to knock off combining because uh, it's going to get too hot risk of fire and stuff uh, one day um, we had a hose split a, a, just, a, just a little hose on the radiator yeah and uh, that, that put us out on the heat of the day. So we were fixing a hot engine in the hot weather. And then another day, um, <clears throat> ITV were there actually filming. And Joe had been driving the combine the day before, because I think I'd been, oh, been at some sort of family event. So Joe was having to go on the combine, cutting rate. And then we'd gone to a field and it was quite flat. So we were filming with ITD, ITV about how hot the day was and what we were up to. And the combine kept blocking up. So they wanted to film to get to the next place to film. So I jumped on the combine and said to Joey, I'll just push it on a bit because they're desperate to get going because he was kind of going around the headland. And I pushed it on too hard and snapped the shaft on the header. <laughs> we spent three hours then in the heat of the day fixing it again. So by the time we'd fixed it, it cooled down. So we never actually did knock off combine and go to the pub and wait for it to cool down like we thought we would do. We ended up mauling around in dust and muck. 
the one day an ice cold pint would have been there. well I say the one day it's often quite a good solution but it would be definitely been a good solution that day um, yeah. I have seen a couple of folks saying I don't know if you are seeing the comments Ollie, but I've seen a couple of folks saying that they would 40 that was Cambridge based um, oh right yeah. I think you might see the comments from the people that follow you and I'm just seeing the comments from the people that follow me maybe <laughs> almost certain that's not the case because there's no chance there's this many people following me. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, not because you're watching. I, I can only see two at once. But if yeah. you've got it on the iPad, you might see more, maybe. Keeping an eye on it. Uh, just, just when folk are throwing some questions in. Um, I think it would be fair to say, if you are watching this podcast as someone that often watches the R2 cast, uh, um, like normal, not like on the Instagram live at the minute, uh, I'm Charlotte's saying she follows me. But she yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> one of the best um, uh, you know if you are listening to this it's probably going to be a shorter podcast than normal because it's a bit quicker paced just with it being on Instagram but um, if you are lucky enough to be here it's been quite fun we could slow down a little bit <laughs> <laughs> I'll, put it, it. I'll put it on the 0.65 speed when I'm editing it um, and it'll, uh, it'll, <laughs> you'll, you've just had a drink for 10 minutes um, you know we'll put it through that way Uh what was, I was going to say something. Yes, um, we've all heard of Country File, uh, but you've, uh, along with others, from what I understand, created a new version. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the real Country File? Like, what, what is that and, and why is it a thing? So, everyone slags off Country File, BBC Country File, says it doesn't represent farming and da 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 And um, I've actually been on it two or three times in the last 12 months, <laughs> funnily enough. And met the, the, so they, they basically have researchers that go out and, and research a job. So they'll ring somebody up and say, oh, we're going to do a story on this. What's your take on it? Well, the problem is if they get hold of the wrong person first, that steers the program and the script. Yeah. Now I'm looking the fact that they've got hold of me, said that they want to do a story on this, this and the other. I've said, oh, what about this? Or what about this angle? Have you thought about this? And managed to get them to understand what I'm saying. And then they've come and filmed on my farm. And it's always gone out and looked pretty good. And it's all been quite represented well. But going back in history, you know, people always, especially farmers, don't really like Country File. They think it's not representative. So I come up with the idea of having a, a YouTube channel called The Real Country File, where we went and actually interviewed real farmers on their farms and talked about real issues at the time and put it out as it was. So... I obviously couldn't do it on my own. So I went to the NFU and I said, look, I've had this idea. Why don't we do this, this and this? I've got the name, the real country file. Will you help me with it? You know, we can get a message out there. And they were like, oh, we're not interested unless we could brand it NFU. I said, but the whole point is it's it's another bite of the cherry. You know, when when someone's kicking off and you've got like the, um, you know, the, the, this is the NFU's view on it. This is farmer's view on it. And this is the real country file's view. I said, it's another voice. You know, they weren't interested. So, I, it just sat there, and then I, and Stephen Lowe, he's a, he's a radio DJ from Lancashire, and he used to do what he called Country File on the radio. So I've been on his TV, his radio program a few times. Mentioned to him about the idea, said, what do you think? He's like, oh yeah, I'd be up for doing that. So me and him were up for it, but we couldn't find anyone else. And then I sponsored an event for, sorry, I went to talk at a farmer's discussion group in Cheshire. And the sponsor for the event was Angela, who you will now see on The Real Country File. And we got talking, and she has a magazine called The Farmer, and it's, it's, mace, it's mostly, you know, adverts of what's going on in the area. Not really very much editorial. Not editorial. What would you call it when you write stuff up? That is editorial, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not, not a lot of it. A lot of it's like adverts, like a local sort of like <clears throat> yellow page, if you will, for, for right. businesses. And I got talking to her, and I said, 
she was sponsoring us. I was like, well, you know, where do you see written media going? Because, you know, with social media and, and anyone can broadcast for very cheaply like we are now. I said, I can't, you know, where's it going to go? And she's like, you know, is it not declining? She went, I hope not. I only bought the business four years ago <laughs> or whatever. So I told her my idea about the real country file. I said, the only thing is, I said, we haven't got the time and we've got the ideas, but we just can't get it off the ground. But if you're interested in helping and want to be involved, let me know. Anyway, she rang me the next day and said, yeah I am I said all right well we better have a meeting so it took us a couple of couple of weeks to get round to all meeting together so me Stephen and Angela and we come with a plan and the original of the plan was every fortnight we'd put something out about half an hour long anyway we we had that much content when we did our like what we'd call a pile and it was that well received that we we just did another one the next week and another one the next week and then the next thing you know we, we, there's one every week now and that's been since about May and then we tried to keep them around 15 minutes long because we find that half an hour is people don't have the time to sit there to, to do it anymore. It was a 15 minute one. They can, they can steal 15 minutes anywhere. So that's what we're doing. So, um, yeah, it seems to be going well. We just want more farmers to send us stuff in and or invite us or whatever, but we are, you know, we, we've all got jobs, so yeah. it's difficult trying to, trying to do it around it. We've been getting a little bit of sponsorship, which has helped because it's helping pay people's mileage that have been driving all over the place doing the content as well. So, and it might get to the point where we could pay someone to edit it, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always that big stage getting to that, isn't it? Because you go from sort of putting probably more time into editing than actually the content. And then if you've got someone to focus on that, it, it make, it, it's probably going to hit production quality much higher. When, well, when we first started, there was, there was everyone was sending me this footage and it was quite raw. And I was having to edit it all. And I hated it because like, if I edit a video, it's my video. I know what I've said. I don't even watch what it said. I just trim the ends and yeah. make the clips fit. And when I'm editing someone else's, I've got to watch it all the way through. And then you do it on, you think that's too long. And then you're going to think which bit's going to take out. So that, so I quickly got to the point within about four or five weeks. It was like, look, if everyone's going to send me something, make edit it yourself first. So I just have to join it together. And that's what we've done. And we have got quite slick at it, really. Angela still does most of the work, to be fair. But um, yeah, we just, if we can get some more stuff in it, I think it would really work and get get some sort of like, people that are regulars on it you know this is what's happening in devon for instance i don't know well just just when you said about the fact you'd be on country fail at the start is i think there's no affiliation between country fail and the real country fail no is the hell no no <laughs> are they aware of it are they happy with it i am not sure i mean <laughs> the strange thing was is when we launched we were gonna we said oh we'll, we'll, we'll get one ready for such and such a date and i was like i'm actually filming country file um and it's gonna go out like the, you know the week before that so we actually delayed it a couple of weeks just in case they upset them but then they come back in the summer and, and did some more filming and, and they've never referenced it i don't know whether they've ever watched it but okay. it's only it's only a name i mean we could call it what we wanted really the idea was the name was trying to be a bit bit like provocative to just say look you know this is this is you know the alternative and and if they did try to sue us it's pr and it? it's publicity so but oh. But when you're saying they've never mentioned that, I'm guessing they're never going to come out and say, and on today's episode of Country Fail, we're going to head over to real Country Fail. You know, I can't. I yeah, lie. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, they just see us as chicken feed. They're not be bothered, will they? So. For sure. Probably. That is probably the case. It's an interesting one you raised, though, because um, we were talking to some students um, last week, fourth year students here in Scotland, which I know doesn't happen in England, but we, for, for your honours degree in Scotland, you've got to do four years. Um, and we're talking about topical issues and that sort of. Uh, 
speaking to the, the consumer, speaking to, to everyone sort of thing is a big part of that. And we're talking about TV and, and everyone said, you know, Country Fail doesn't do anything for whatever. Do you think that's true? Or do you think they're, do you think that's not a fair statement? Or do you think Country Fail isn't, isn't doing anything for farming? Well, when I've been on, I thought it did. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't watch it. I can go months without turning the telly on. You I can just, what, sorry? I, I can go months without turning the TV on. I'm the exact same, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I just, if, oh yeah, I just don't, I don't, I don't watch it. I, I know my mum and dad do and stuff, but I'm, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, it's all in the background, it's just a bit of waffle of, you know, some crafty thing going on in somewhere. Now, if you live in that village, then you might think that's wonderful, but most <laughs> people are just like, oh, that's boring. But it, it isn't aimed at farmers, is it? I think farmers think it was made for them, but it, it, I don't think it was. Well, this is it, and, and I'd be quite interested in folk that are in it, if you want to comment, saying what you think uh, on this, but the way I see it is, I've actually had Adam Henson on the podcast as well, and, and we had a good chat, and, and uh, he, he, he made a really good point that they're sort of posting this story that's sort of positive, not the fully true story, that's getting out to six million people a week, and if, if that's a lot of the masses, then I think that's actually a good thing, and that's that's sort of the way I look at it, but um, I do see why it gets a, gets a wee bit of flack. In the way. I would just like to quickly interrupt the show for a minute to give you some extra information on our primary sponsors, A-Plan Rural. A-Plan offer bespoke cover for farms and estates the UK over, and will give you tailored insurance for anything on the farm from your old workhorse tractor that's been around 20 years or a fancy new and exciting diversification yeah i mean he, he gets a bit of stick because he's the face of it but like you know when, when he came to me when we were doing this story in the summer you know a researcher had, had basically this is the story we need to tell within the episode because this is how we've got it in our head this is what you need to say and these are the questions you need to ask you know it wasn't you know he put them in his own words but I think it's very important that, that when them researchers bring people up, the right. But if they if they get an otter on the phone, then it could end up being about anything, couldn't it? <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Um, there's there's a few people that have commented. You've you've noticed uh, Charlotte there, and I see Emma Gray's in, and um, they've they've both been involved in something. That I know you are as well. Uh, quite quite interested to hear about it. Quite a few times we'll go onto Instagram throughout the last few months, and yourself, uh, Becca Wilson. Georgina, Samet, Charlotte, Emma, Joe Seals, I'll be missing people, I'm sure Tom Pemberton will all be live at the same time, you're thinking, good God, what's happening? Uh, it's a thunderclap, they call it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, 80% of, of Instagram's following in the farming sector is all live at one time. Uh, could you tell us a bit about that and, and what's what that is and how it's came about? Yeah, so the... The AHDB did someone at Yorkshire show and they were talking to Joe Seals and I think he did a live TikTok video. And then the AHDB staff went to different things. The people were keep kept saying, Oh, we, we saw you on a Joe Seals video. So I I obviously know HDB from, from years ago with the NFU involvement. So they, they rang me up and they said, uh, you know, this uh, social media stuff. We're thinking thinking is a little bit of, bit of something we could do here because there's more people watching it than we thought, especially TikTok. You know, we're thinking that we could maybe do some sort of like live video and you know get a few of these other people doing it, you know, influencers, which is a cringy word. Do you think <laughs> do you think you could help us with it? And do you think anyone would be up for it? I was like, well, yeah, well probably, yeah. You know, we, we, if we can promote it to make it better, a better place for everyone, AHDB and function a bit better, and we can get better feedback from other farmers. I, I don't see why not. So, um, 
we kind of did a pilot, if you will. So there was me, Joe. So got Tom involved. Joe got Charlotte involved. Um, I, Georgina Samet has a big following on TikTok, so I got her roped in as well. Um, I think I think that was it for the first one. There's a guy from Beanstalk Global, it's called. So he does a bit of like filming and um, I don't know what the word is. Video editing, I suppose, for AHDB stuff, and he's quite big on LinkedIn, which again is you know another another social media platform or or, or Tinder for professionals, as some people call it. <laughs> and just... So, so we 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 did this kind of like live stream, and the numbers were massive because obviously we've got big accounts, and suddenly you know, like now, I mean, I think only fifty five people watch. I don't know what they said, but we've lost them here since we went to AHDB. We well, it's about eighty before, but if you imagine if everyone's got like eighty or hundred, hundred and fifty, whatever, and you add all that together, it's you know, there's there's a lot of people seeing what we're talking about. So the first one was not really a disaster, but we thought we could all go live at the same time on our phones. But like we found before, when we tried to go live on Zoom, that's on the computer above my phone. And when we tried to go live on here, we get feedback issues and all that. So it was a little bit, little bit shaky, the first one. But the, the figures were massive. So the next one, we did a little bit more of an in-depth. And we had a guy from AHDB there that, we, that explained a bit more what AHDB did. We perhaps didn't know what he did until he got there, which was a shame because we could have had more questions to throw at him. And then um, so we did one live at HDB's offices. And when we realised everyone had travelled an extra hour that they needed to rather than do one where I live, we decided to do the next one where I live in, in the holiday let. So everyone come and we did it from there. And then they did a, we decided then that in other words, because we're all giving up our time, we're better off doing it. Um somewhere that we're all going to be together yeah. so that we're not giving up too much time and traveling for, for no reason. So we were like, you know, why, who's going to Lama? Well, most of us are, we'll do a live from Lama. I couldn't do it. I actually flew to Germany. The idea was we'd do it the, the night before Lama. So it'd be like a preview for Lama. So we'd be like, we're all here at Lama show. This is what's here. We're with HDBB. This is what they do. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, there's a bit of a miscommunication between the LAMA organisers and an ADB. So they wouldn't let us do it live the night before, but we actually did it the night the night of the first day. So I wasn't there, I was in Germany. And then the next time we thought we were all going to be together was they do this agri-leader conference. So we did a live from that, I think it was last week. So the numbers are pretty good for that. I think there was 4,000 people watched mine in the end. So And then everyone else had a big watch. And like the, the top is, well, I'm asking this as someone who's watched a few of them are you just going over things that are happening at the minute and trying to get trying to get what HCB trying to get farming in general out there is that the goal or is the goal just what's the goal so it's a bit strange really so HDB is agricultural horticultural development board so their job is to promote agriculture UK agriculture and improve it make it better whether that's through research development knowledge exchange you know trial work things like that also promote British products or promote agricultural products to, to the wider audience so some of them are aimed at like telling farmers what they do I suppose you could call it just to find the job or telling them where to find the resource but also as well some of our followers won't be farmers and if we're talking about the challenges on farms and, and current issues, it's always nice to educate the public at the same time. So it, it's a, it's a quite a simple thing. It's just keeping it 
I don't know, keeping it interesting. When when did social media start for you? What what made you make, put that first video or put that first whatever in? And what it's that's quite a good question, I guess, to ask is what platform was it on? I mean, when Facebook got invented, everyone joined it to see what the schoolmates were up to that you're not seeing for years. So I obviously had that to just use it like everyone else. Started doing quite a bit of stuff with the NFU and a lot of the lobbying work for for when we were trying to get glyphosate re registered. So we we had a bit of a meeting a few of us and got together and decided that you know we needed to be owning the social media on it because everything on there was negative so I actually had a talk off an expert from from europe a guy Mac, max max power does he call him mike powers i can't remember what his name was he he did youtube as well as twitter and he taught us all about like how it works and the reach it can have so we led like a, a glyphosate campaign sort of spearheaded a little bit with the nfu and i use twitter quite a lot instagram didn't really get it i just thought it was for girls to show their hair off and makeup um but you don't you end up could you not sorry do you not show your hair and makeup no no (laughs) so um i ended up with instagram eventually um snapchat i don't really mess with snapchat much just just making stuff um but then TikTok come along as well. So in the meantime, I'd been doing stuff for the local BBC, talking about what's going on on the farm. This squeaks, chair squeaks. Doing what's going on on the farm every few months, and they'd come out and do a bit of an update, and they were due to come out the first day of lockdown to do some filming. Mm-hmm. And Boris announced that it was a lockdown and whatever, so they rang me and said, look, I know we arranged last week to come, but um, can we still come? So I was like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, come out. So, sorry, I should have said in the meantime, I'd had a YouTube channel from years ago just when me and my mates used to mess around driving over taxis and diggers and dropping pianos off the teleambulance and stuff. So, or slagging the EMI at AC off for cleaning still- ditches out. Those videos. Sorry? Are they still there? I think so, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, I, um, we, we did some filming with the BBC first day of lockdown. And they said, can you, they didn't get in the cab with me, everything was done with a long lens. And they said, can you record something with your phone for us in the cab and explain what you're doing and we'll try and use it in the piece. So I'd just got a new phone because the week before the lockdown, I was in Chernobyl looking around Pripyat, which was amazing. So I, I um, got my phone out of my pocket and started recording what I was doing. It felt like a right Wally talking to my phone. And the BBC use Apple computers. So they sat in the core of the field in, the, in their editing van with this Apple computer, and I airdropped it to it. There's yeah. no quality lost in airdrop. So they start putting it all together. Like, you can't tell the difference between our camera and yours, and ours has got a 20 grand lens on it. So it, it worked really well, and they put this piece out that night of what was going on on the farm, because we had a really wet winter, and it just come dry, and about three minutes long, I went on iPlayer, screen recorded it, put it out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I had to chop it up into three to fit on Twitter because you're only allowed like a couple of minutes, aren't you? Yeah. And um, loads of people watched it. Everyone was bored. The news was just full of COVID and whether everyone was going to live or die. And, you know, we were sowing wheat. So the next day, I'm going up and down the field and I'm reading all the comments that everyone had left underneath the video and I thought, oh, I'll do another one. So I just took my phone out of my pocket. It was like, oh, it's day two of cab isolation, I called it because I said I had to isolate in the cab. 
And I made a little video, a few minutes long, and I, and I put it out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You know, lot, lots of people watched it again. So the next day, I did it again as a joke. I thought it was funny at this point. And then suddenly, I'm like two weeks in, and I've got school teachers saying, oh, uh, seen your video on Facebook. Is there any way you can send me a copy? Because I want to use it for a lesson, because we're all trying to online lesson. We want, like, resources. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll WhatsApp it, yeah. Cause, so I'm trying to WhatsApp it to these people who don't even know, and I'm chopping it up into chunks so it fits in a WhatsApp. So in the end, I thought, oh, sod it. I'll just put it on YouTube and then send them the link. So I just started uploading them to YouTube and um, carried on. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I don't know when to stop it. <laughs> Everyone's still in lockdown. I decided to grow some sunflowers. So people are watching the sunflowers growing. Um, it's getting near harvest. There's, there's you know... Um, we get the combine on demo. So we're about 100 days in at this point. And I'm thinking of stopping, and I thought, oh, well, I'll get to 100 days and I'll stop then. But it was quite interesting. Most more people were watching. So I carried on over harvest because COVID still carried on. The sunflower maze opened. It was quite good for, for sort of like promoting the sunflower maze as well. And we get to, um, I got to like November, by which point I had like six or 700 subscribers on YouTube. I thought, that's massive. That's amazing. And Cotland Farmer messaged me from Wales. And he's like, oh, I've been watching YouTube videos. They're really addictive. They're really good. Um, but you know your YouTube channel's set up wrong. It's really hard to find you. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, oh, you've got it as made for kids. I went, well, it kind of is. He went, yeah, yeah. But you're not on the main YouTube. You are, but you're hard to find. You need to change your settings. I said, how do you do that? And he said, oh, you log on with a computer. Oh, I can't be bothered. I don't like computers. So I carried on, and then a couple of weeks later, he messaged me. I said, no, no, seriously, change your settings. I'll send you a video how to do it on the computer. Anyway, good enough, he did. So I logged on, and I changed the settings. And at this point, I was on, like, you know, five or 600 subscribers. And the next thing, I was on 1,000 within a couple of weeks. I was like, oh, my God, you know, it's amazing. And then it was, like, Christmas time. We did the tracks run, which was an amazing success because I was able to sort of, like, whip up a crowd to come and watch and donate and whatever. And we get to January, and I'm about 3,000 subscribers. And I, and I thought I'd stop after a year. I thought, when I get to a year, that's it. You know, I'm getting moaned at when I'm eating my tea, because I should be eating my tea, not editing videos and uploading. And um, there's some flooding. We rescued a guy out of a flood with a fast track and a big trailer. And it was just in the daily video, and it went out there. Anyway, the local paper um, shared my video on YouTube. Anyway, when I was getting 3,000 watches a day, suddenly I had 9,000 watches. Oh, my God, this is amazing. I'll, uh, and I did what they call monetize the channel, which I'd never done, which basically just allows YouTube to put adverts on the videos. And lad up the road, when I said I was going to stop, like, well, David, if you're watching, he, he said, are you mental? He said, you can earn a fortune. I'm like, oh, don't be daft. It's like, my mate's been trying to get a, a golf YouTube channel going for years. And, you, you know, you've, you've done it without trying and you're going to give it up. You know, you're mental. Anyway, I, I'm going to try this video this day. And I woke up the next day and I did £1.49. I was like, oh, my God, free money. You know, I've been like eight, ten months making videos and never earned a penny. And I suddenly I'd, I'd earned £1.49. And it was the best £1.49 I've ever earned. Anyway, it carried on, and the next thing it's earning a fiver a day, and I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. You know, and then it's earning a tenner and everything. It's actually paying for the time it takes me to do it now. This is great. And then, you know, I'm up to four or 5,000 subscribers. Anyway, I'm getting near the year, and I said I was going to stop, and everyone was like, no, 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 and there's a bit of an uproar, and it started making money. So I said, if people are going to carry on watching, I'll carry on. Anyway, I did, and I'm getting in 
past the year then and I start doing the maths thinking if this carries on at this rate I'll be able to buy a new sprayer and YouTube can pay for it so this is like near the end of March so Johan from the Farmers Weekly run me up and said um, our office thinks you this is an April fool you buying a sprayer with YouTube but he said I've my son wants to be a YouTuber and he reckons that you can he thinks you'll make enough money to do it and I went well yeah to be honest if it carries on at the growth it's got now by June I'll be able to pay the HP on a new sprayer after me trading so we um i ordered a sprayer unfortunately unknown to me march is quite a good pay rate for youtube because the advertisers are dumping the budgets to get rid of it for the new financial year so Boy. from april the income halved and i was like oh i ordered a sprayer anyway the, the sprayer ended up two months late so by the time the sprayer arrived the um the income was matching the hp and it carried on, so I started buying some classic tractors, and then again, after Christmas, there was a nose dive, and I only just about paid for the sprayer in January. But it's kept going, you know. I think I was at like ten thousand subscribers after the first year, and like thirty, forty after the second year, and I think it's at seventy odd now. Yeah, well, I'm guessing it's not just five pound a day anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> no, it's a little bit more. Yeah, fair play to you, man. That's pretty cool. I, actually, do you know? I'd forgotten that. They did an article in the sprayer, didn't they? The, um, yeah, they found it, yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, that's right. I do remember that. Is that Johan Tucker? Is that his Yo, uh, Johan Tasker. Tasker, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a good podcast. I don't know if you listen to it, the, the Farmers Weekly podcast. I don't really listen to many, but I listen to you know I don't listen to any podcasts or watch any TV, and I don't really watch much YouTube because I don't have the time. Because if I'm not making a video, like, I know the video editing doesn't take that long. There's times in the day when I'm filming. So, you know, if I'm on the phone running the job or whatever, I'll have to hang up the phone. I'm going to film this quickly and then I'll, then I'll you know, I'll carry on. And then I don't have time to, to sort of like listen or get tuned in. Like if I, if I was listening to a podcast for an hour, I'd just have to keep breaking it to then film something that might be interesting happening. How, uh, how many videos are you uploading a week? Seven. Yeah, that is mental. At least. Because sometimes I'll do a live and then, Sometimes I'll end up editing the country file one as well, which is on a Sunday. So that's, yeah. And how long? How long's the videos? Yeah. I try to keep them to as near to 10 minutes or under as I can because I feel people don't have the time to watch. And then at least, at least then as well, it's not waffle. It's just the most interesting eight or 10 minutes of the day, if you will. Well, the, the what is it? Eight, eight to 11 and a half is the most monetizable YouTube video duration. Is it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, they, they often do end up longer. I mean, sometimes they're 14, 15 minutes because if there's something gone wrong that day or something's been really interesting that day, then, yeah. you know, it, if you've got to explain it all, then, or you'll you'll think you've filmed everything enough for the day and then something random will happen that yeah. wasn't, well, you, I never know what day I'm going to, well, I'm going to film any day anyway. If I'm honest, <laughs> you just get up in the morning and see how the day goes. Not going to have like a schedule for what, what you're going to, what you're, what, no, what, the, the, I've barely ever gone out of my way for content. I um, A couple of years ago, my mate, I was filming round John Bounds' yard. Funnily enough, I was there yesterday looking at his tractors. And my mate, Pete Marquis, messaged me and said, you want to come and have a look at my classic tractors? So I was like, all right. So I went, I had to drop something off. So I went and I filmed his classic tractors. That was the first time I'd gone out of my way for content. And it was only, it was a Sunday and I've not seen him for ages. And it was after COVID. And, you know, I think in 18 months, the first time I did. I got yeah. invited to the JCB factory to see my tractor built and I filmed all around their museum. So I showed around like what I was doing that day and then filmed in the museum. 
and the video was dead long, so I cut it in half and thought, well, I'll show the museum with everyone a day off. It took me four or five months before I used it. Oh, really? Yeah, and then the other week, I um, I was going away for the weekend for like three nights to Portugal. And I thought, I don't know what I'll do while I'm away. And then just randomly, I ended up picking up a tractor for our tractor run the day before. And I went round the local machinery dealership I'd never been to before. And um, the yard was fascinating in the workshop. So I filmed all that. And I thought, well, while I'm on holiday, I'll do it as a three-parter. So I did. <laughs> so on holiday, still filming, at dinner, still filming, <laughs> never stops. Yeah. 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 And this week, again, again, not normally, but I've been... I've been, um, Reezy College asked me would I come and have a look around and show around their engineering department and all what they're doing there. So I am away for Charlotte's birthday in a couple of weeks. So I said, I'll come and film it when I next get a chance, but I said I won't put it out until I'm away. And yeah, so I I have started banking a bit now for when when I am about, like I was ill the other week and it was really difficult. I was probably ill for about a fortnight. I just couldn't get warm. I, could, I felt awful. Yeah, and two days I didn't even leave the house pretty much, and I um I thought, well, I know, I'll do a rerun of what I was doing twelve months, two years ago to the day I think it was actually, and the new con mine arrived, so it was quite a nice video. So yeah. I just did a little bit of an intro of this is you know this is a rerun. Apologies, I'm ill. Did the rerun and then did the birthday bumpers, which is something to do for charity to ra- to raise money at the same time for the air ambulance. Put that on the end, so it was still from that day i've never missed a day not uploading something that actually happened that day even if it's only a little bit but it was really interesting the rerun because to some people that had seen it before it was two years ago and they found it they found it interesting to see it again because they've been watching for two years and anyone that joined in the last two years had never seen it anyway so it was new to them so it was very well received which surprised me well when you're getting the views you are that will be you'll have sort of devout followers and whatnot, I assume, but you'll also have the ones that everything's new. You might have someone that's only ever seen one video. Like, it's, YouTube algorithm is quite interesting in that way, that you can just pop up to someone and they might never see you again. Yeah. Uh, you know, but um, just what you're sort of talking about, I tell you what, just quickly, if anyone does have any questions for, for Ollie, this is so much easier. Normally I have to write down loads of things like this to try and get questions for the people but that's uh, not what's happened today because you guys are all here but if you do have any questions there's a wee thing I don't know how it works um, I see two people have already done it where you can actually put a question in because if you're putting a comment in I'm just not going to see it because it's flying too quick but um, if you have any questions fire on in there one that Charlotte had uh, I think it was Charlotte had said um, what's the sort of biggest pitfall of sharing to social media and I was actually going to sort of twin it into a question do you feel you have to post every day I, I do now um, because if I post late I get quite a lot of messages like where's the video today the kids <laughs> won't go to bed um, it's a serious income stream to me now so yeah. by not posting will will cost me which is sad because it's kind of turned into a job but I do still enjoy doing it when I'm not ill but when I was ill, I did I did find it a real struggle. Um, just quickly going back to what we were just talking about. When I went to YouTube, the, the, they invited me to their offices in London, which is the Google offices. And they looked at all my analytics with me. And they said, you've got a really loyal following. The people that watch your videos, like the, the YouTube average of, of video retention is 30%, I think they said. And mine was 59.9, which is like double what's normal. And they said, that's really unusual to have that. Um, he said, you know, you've, you've got such a loyal fan base. 60's massive. I mean, you, yeah. watch, you watch any, 
large scale YouTubers, I'm talking in the millions, nothing to do with farming, they'll often be showing their um, repeat sort of watchers as, as 29 to 36%. So common. Um, I don't, I, no, and this is so like a video, yeah, what, what, for, for, sorry, not repeat, continuing is what I meant. Yeah, apologies. Yeah. Um, yeah, they said it's, 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 you know, it's, it's phenomenal. Like the, the idea we see, they'd invite you in and, and they, they were kind of like, look, you know, if you make money, we make money. How can you improve? And normally they'd go, right, okay, well, everyone seems to like it when you do videos about this or everyone seems to like the videos when you do it like this. But mine is just what I'm doing every day. So there is no, there's no, I can't say, well, I'm only ever going to make videos about fence tractors. You know, I'm only going to, you know, there's no, they, they couldn't, there's no, they couldn't, there's nothing other than making sure I had a nice thumbnail that they could tell me to improve on. Whereas, like, some people would be like, oh, well, look, when you do videos about four-wheel drive cars, more people watch them than when you do it about hatchbacks, so you need to do more videos about four-wheel drive cars. You know, yeah. th this kind of thing, that's normally what they do. Or when you make, you know, if you've got a cookery channel, people seem to like it when you make cakes, not when you make, you know, breakfast cereal, you know, and, and, and that's what they do. But for me, because it's there, there was no peaks and troughs for them to pick out, really. Yeah, 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 and and I think yeah, that makes sense. If it's sort of like consistent what you're posting, and and for and and is it because do you think that's down to people just sort of like the way about you is not strictly the sort of content you're making? Do you think that's what it could be, or? Yeah, this is the bit that I couldn't really get my head around at first. Yeah. You know, I I thought people were just there to see tractors, but in actual fact, they seem to be there just just to listen to me. So like, there's a few videos where you've not really seen a tractor; it's just me, me rambling on about something. One thing is for certain, they do like a good rant. Like you know, if you're having a go at cyclists or degrees <laughs> or something like that. I mean, that was so funny. Like people say, "Oh, do you get any like hate and stuff?" And I'll be honest, I don't really at all. Right. I, I deliberately wound up the cyclists because uh, by telling them that when they're out, it's leisure time and they shouldn't move out of the way for tractors because we're working. And they were getting so wild like vegans. It was dead funny. And um, yeah. Just... Hey, hey, viewers shoot up then. <laughs> yeah. And then I bumped, I bumped into a guy who took over on the building site up the road. He's like, I recognise you, 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 YouTube. I was like, yeah, anyway, I'm a cyclist. <laughs> <laughs> he actually said, though, I agree with what you said. Because what I was saying was, when a tractor gets stuck behind the bike, the cyclist, the cars behind think the tractor's going slow yeah. and they don't know what you're, you're stuck behind the bike. So they'll fly past you and then cut in with a car coming the other way and often there's a bike there and the bike nearly gets wiped out. So I was saying, look, you know, cyclist, if a tractor comes up behind you, we're too wide and too slow to pass you. But the cars behind us aren't and they're going to take risks. So why don't you pull over or slow down and let us through? Because generally we're working and you're not you're doing it for leisure, but it's for your own safety. Well, 99% of them got it, but 1% went wild and were offended by the fact that they have to pull over for a tractor. So um, it was dead funny. It's quite often the case, isn't it? The sort of smaller percent are the ones that, that I don't want to say ruin it for cause cause the biggest amount of drama. Um, fair, fair to say. Um, I've got one question here from someone that's saying they are an aspiring ag YouTuber. So they're asking for some tips, which I must say they're kind of ruining the end of my podcast because I ask this at the end of every podcast. But we'll throw it in. We'll make a little change today because we're doing a slightly different uh, uh, format. HS Agri Six, I think, was the guy's name. Is asking what would you, what would your tips be for new folk uh, getting into YouTubing? I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug 
the sponsors of the show today, the Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. If you're doing it for the money, you'll fail. That's a really good one. Everyone has told me that, that I've asked that question to. Because I, I, I just, the, the drive for me to do it was just personal to see if I could. And I enjoyed it. And the money's a bonus. If you set out to make money out of YouTube, you will get bored before you make any money. You will get a fed up. You've got to want to do it. I think the other thing is as well that helps me is being dyslexic. I have a, a visionary mind. Uh, okay. I I see things that other people perhaps wouldn't see and I explain things probably more than most would and that helps the audience get it. Ah, uh, okay. That's interesting. And yeah. Tom Pemberton's dyslexic as well. Is he? And there's someone else that is. Hold on. I know, I, know, I know three farming YouTubers that, and they're all dyslexic. Yeah, so they go more in-depth. That makes a lot of sense, eh? Makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, someone's asked, uh, what was the name? I should probably do names. I-G-L-T Fig, I don't even think that's the name. Um, how, do, how do shorts fit into monetization? Because this has been a big issue on YouTube. Folk are saying, you know, you're creating content on TikTok, shorts, reels, whatever. Are you making? Yeah, uh, so, so YouTube got all excited last August or September to say, from February, we're going to start paying you for shorts. And it, it's sod all. It's like TikTok. It's nothing. The problem that happened is YouTube lost so much ground to TikTok. Everyone was watching TikTok and not YouTube. They had to do something, so they started shorts. And a YouTube subscriber used to be quite hard to earn. You know, you do long-form videos, 10, 15, 20 minutes. People would watch it. think that was interesting. If they watched a few, they'd subscribe. What's now happened is you can subscribe on a TikTok thing. Oh, well, that was funny. I'll, I'll follow him. And then, so like, I've had a short that's got me 14,500 subscribers from a yeah. tractor driving through a puddle. Now, then 14,500 subscribers subscribe to watch tractors going through puddles, not to see me filling the grain wagon or filling the fertilizers, red and spraying. So it, it's basically, I would say a short subscriber is only worth a 40, 40 short subscribers are only worth one old school YouTube subscriber. I think, you know, a really good example is, uh, I don't know if you know Cammy Wilson, I'm sure you're aware of him, the sheep game. Um, yeah. Quite a good mate of mine, and, and we've got a, quite a group, a group chat with a few of us, and uh, one of the things that sort of came up was Cammy was growing quickly, I think he was about 70k, and uh, he put a 40 second short out of him just shearing a sheep, and it jumped up to like 200,000 like that, and he, yeah. he doesn't want them subs, like you're saying, like, like he's like, well they don't mean anything, they mean absolutely nothing, they're they're not really in that can really monetize. You can't do much with it. So it's quite a good question, that, in fairness. Yeah, I, I used to like the fact that if I had 10,000 subscribers, 10,000 people watching videos. If I had 20,000 subscribers, 20,000 people watched yeah. the videos within 48 hours. But now it's started to drift. I mean, you've got historic subscribers that dip in and out the longer the channel goes, obviously. But the shorts make it look like you can have this huge subscriber base. But, you know, the, the, view, the views don't really match. It nearly looks like you've got bot subscribers. Yes, yeah, I think it probably does look that way, and and yeah, I, I, and I don't know if I don't know if that, that means anything to the masses. I don't think they care, but maybe yeah, to... I mean, the, the way that if you ever go on Social Blade, what what's weird is like the other week I looked, and out of all the big YouTube channels I can think of, I was the most watched in the last month. I was like, oh, that's amazing, but it's because of the short, right? Okay, yeah. 
Well, you... and he also thinks your income's there as well. He thinks his short income, I thinks his short views worth a, worth a long view. So you know, he says I'm making three hundred k a year out of YouTube. I mean, if I want, yeah. <laughs> um, the what was the other question? Is another one? Uh, yep. McGugan Mark has said, "Is the Zerion? I always say this word wrong. Zerion, your best machinery purchase? No, I've said it wrong. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the Zerion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, as, as a, I mean, the money spent from YouTube on machinery has got to be the Bateman because I drive it for ten months of the year, and it's it's made it the Bateman being bigger and newer has given me the time to carry on doing YouTube." Okay, it's more efficient. The Zerion will be good when we get it tracked pulling and stuff, and it is an absolute animal. But like, when you think it was a fifth the cost of the Bateman. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, 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 you know, it's cheap, cheap power. But yeah, no, I think, I think the the Bateman was the best purchase from YouTube. Like I say, because it gives me the time. You know, the bigger tank on it probably saves me an hour and a half a day. Oh really? Sure. Mm. Yeah. Um. So Luke has said, uh, what made you go into the, the sunflower idea with the maze and that sort of thing? Because we've got uh, someone in here that I believe has done it from following on you. I think Crawford was in here at some point. Um, yeah, what made you go down that route? So in 2017, I got the opportunity to go to Ukraine and visit some farmers out there helping Syngenta with, with a project. So the war had just broken out in this Crimea and yeah. the currency devalued 300%. So that meant when you're selling them seed, furs and sprays and fer fertiliser, if you will, if, if you're Syngenta and you've got a £5 billion business into there or whatever, or £5 million or something, and you don't want to lose it. So what they wanted, they wanted some farmers to go out there. And this is where it's quite clever. They wanted farmers to explain how they sell the grain in Europe or the UK. So it's quite normal for me to sell my grain on the futures market. So I was selling grain yesterday. Yeah. The delivery may next year that I've not even grown, you know, things like that. So what they wanted to do was they wanted to go to farmers and say, look, here's all your agricultural inputs. This is what it costs. Yeah. In yeah. US dollars. You go and sell me 2000, you go and deliver me 2,500 ton of wheat on the 1st of November. And we will sell that now on the USDA futures market. Okay. So it was a very clever way of selling in dollars in a country that had no real economy. Ah, right. Okay, yeah. Got you. Because the dollar's static. So they could say, right, we'll give you 5,000 tonne a week on the 1st of November. What can we have for that? Right, you can have all your seed, all your spray and all this. There we go. And they just and it was just getting the trust in them to be able to commit to forward grain sales that then they sold on USDA Futures, which is US Department of Agriculture. Chicago Board of Trading. So that so I was out there talking to these farmers. That was that. We were right on the Russian border in Kharkiv, five hours east on a train ride back to Kiev, or Kiev that they called it then. Yeah. And we're on this train and we're looking out the window and it's January and the fields are completely white and the sky's white because it's snowing and it's just like looking at a piece of paper. Right, train okay. window. And I said to the translator, oh, my God, that's amazing. And he said, if you think that's amazing, you should see it when they're full of sunflowers. And I thought about this, and we got invited back. But I couldn't go in July and August. I'm busy combining. 
So I thought I'll grow my own. So that March, I had a five-acre field that the pigeons and the, the rabbits had eaten. And I went to Pets at home and I got two bags of sunflower seeds, put it in the drill and planted them and ended up with this field of sunflowers. Is that who planted Yeah, just yeah, yeah, just straight out, straight out of the uh, Pets at home. Problem was, didn't have a clue what to do with them. So come <laughs> end of September, the flowering looked amazing. I went in taking some pictures and I just put it on Facebook. And... Um, my friend's wife, Linda, was like, oh, can I have some sunflowers? I was like, yeah, yeah, £10 a bunch. Just joking. She's like, oh, can I have two bunches? And then my other friend's wife, that sadly, at the time, was suffering from breast cancer, said, oh, can I have some? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll bring you some round tomorrow if it's convenient. Because you never knew when it was a good time to call because you'd been very ill of it. Chemo and stuff. So I took these sunflowers round. And her husband, my mate, quite entrepreneurial. And he's like, oh, my God, that's amazing. That biggest bunch of sunflowers you've ever seen. He's on his phone. He's like, oh, they're um, 30 quid a bunch of Marks and Spencers. So why don't you sell them? How many have you got? And I was like, well, I need 10 or 30,000 of them, you know, no more. <laughs> yeah, 40,000 of them. So I thought there is some value in that field, but I haven't got the time to combine them. I'm too busy, too busy cutting wheat. Yeah. So I'm driving home and it was at the time when Michael Gove had come as the environment secretary and it was all this public money for public good. And I thought, I wonder would people buy them? To, for the birds to eat over winter and I could leave them in the field not harvesting but people buying for the birds to eat I thought well they might not give the money to me but they might give it to a charity so we just googled these words charity Liverpool sunflowers anyway it called Liverpool cancer care charity Liverpool sunflowers cancer care charity I was like yeah. oh that's ideal like, yeah, I've just been with someone with cancer so I clicked on like the, the link for them and went to their Facebook page and that evening, they were having a charity salsa dancing night. And my friend's wife, Linda, that first asked for the sunflowers, was going. So I was like, oh, well, someone knows them. I'll I'll set them, send the money to them, but didn't know how to do it. So I just put it on Facebook, again, social media. Come up with this idea. I want to donate these sunflowers to charity. You buy them, leave them in the field. The birds eat them over winter. Dedicate them to a loved one. Everyone's happy and we raise some money. How, did, how could I do it? The lad that buy straw off us was like oh it's dead easy just set up a just giving page share the link so i set up this just giving page shared the link went to bed the next morning raised 540 quid while i was asleep it's like well, that was all right and uh the charity then on the phone the next morning going oh, i can't believe what you've done for us it's like i've really done a lot i've been asleep <laughs> yeah for sure and he went we had a charity salsa dancing evening last night and um Took months to organise. You only raised three hundred quid, and you've raised five hundred forty quid in your sleep. Anyway, it's only a couple of weeks later I found out that Lynch that originally wanted these sunflowers wanted them as a raffle prize for that charity salsa dancing evening. So they never got the raffle prize, but they ended up with eleven grand in the end because a lot of the media picked it up, excluding the Scottish farmer, and um, yeah, it raised some money. So that was the first year, and I thought, right, I can do this better. I'll I'll grow twenty acres and mow amazing into it. Anyway, it was a disaster. It was a drought. It was crap. The next year, I tried again. The weed swamped it out. And then BBC Green Planet rang me up and said, I believe you grow sunflowers. I was like, yeah. And they said, can we do some filming with David Attenborough in the summer? Like, yeah. So I put so much effort into growing them. And they were absolutely fantastic. Unfortunately, David Attenborough couldn't come. A lady did turn up, Canadian, that had hairy armpits, which was a bit scary. And they did some filming in the field. But I had this 
nine acres of sunflowers that look stunning. And I thought, right, I'm going to mow a maze. So I mowed a maze into them and I opened it up for charity. And I said that I'd give 50% of the profits to charity. Anyway, we had a drought that year. So um, it was COVID. No one had anything to do. Took 100,000 quid in 28 days with 10 grand's worth of running costs. So I ended up with 45 grand to charity and I ended up with 45 grand to prop the farm up. Unknown to me, the 45 grand I gave to charity sat on my tax return though, so I ended up getting taxed on it. Oh, no, you're joking. <laughs> I bought a new combine to mitigate some of it, but yeah, it's, um, it wasn't good. Oh, you think you did something like that, you could probably get rid of it, but yeah, maybe not. Um, well, it's seen as income tax, isn't it? They don't care. You could get all your wages and give them away tomorrow, but the tax man still wants a cut of it. God, I, do you know, I think I knew that, in fairness. Uh, yeah. I, I learned the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate this, so I, I, don't, I have to learn that way. Um, I'm actually quite conscious, Ollie, that because we hadn't planned on doing this on my phone, we started with 21%, and I've just got the 5% little warning there. Uh, uh, plan to do this on the iPad. For those of you listening that have joined maybe in the last, basically since the live started, about a minute after that, uh, I film a podcast with... Uh, folks out food and farming um, and release them every week and I normally just do it on Zoom which is actually just sat right next to the phone uh, and I've just realised we've muted it so the recording will be muted and I don't actually think it'll work anyway <laughs> anyway it doesn't matter um, um, Ollie said oh we should try doing it live so uh, yeah this is where this has came from this is why you're seeing a, a weirded Scottish bearded man on your screen uh, if you follow Ollie uh, but someone did sort of steal <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, how can we do this? There we are. Is that working? Um, yeah, so I will try and sort of draw it to a close, Ollie, because uh, I don't want it to cut itself off. Um, someone had asked um, about tips, sort of getting into it. And the two two questions I end, ask at the end of every podcast is one, tips for coming into whatever you're doing. So you've answered that. But um, the other one I ask, and someone has asked this question as well. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Um, yeah, that I-G-L-T-F-I-G uh, asked this question as well. Where, well, they've asked a slightly different, but where do you see yourself in five years is a question I like to ask everyone. So what do you think your answer to that would be? Hopefully I'll just be still here. <laughs> doing the same thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I just enjoy doing what I'm doing, so I don't really want to be doing anything different. I mean, the nice thing is the world's opened back up again. I've been I've been to some interesting places through through the YouTube stuff, I suppose. So, like, I was in Germany the week, and I, I'd obviously bought a new combine as well. So, I messaged the class and said, "What's the chances of looking around a factory and doing some filming?" And they were like, "Yeah, we'll make it happen." And I was the first person I believe to ever be allowed to film in the factory, other than than, than class themselves. And um, did a video around their factory and things like that, which was pretty amazing. Which you wouldn't do without YouTube. So it would be nice to be able to do more stuff like that, you know, get to see, see crazy things. Well, I wish and, I was doing it when I went around Chernobyl because that was fascinating, but I don't think that'll ever be allowed again. Well, that was the question I really wanted to ask you. Conscious from 4%. Quickly sum up Chernobyl. You're not going to charge you. <laughs> well, I do, but it's like, it's, I can't sit here and I'd be, I'd be lying on top of my bed and no one wants to watch that. <laughs> I think it'd be fair to say. Sum up Chernobyl for us quickly. What was that like? It just fascinating. The, the thing that really surprised me, which I didn't know about, was they actually tried to carry on living there for about four or five years, I think, after it happened. Yeah. So they stripped all the topsoil off and carried on as if nothing was going on and whatever, then realised that they had to. But we visited the woodpecker, which is just in the exclusion zone, which is the big spike listing device. 
that was pretty impressive. But really eerie. I mean, you're not. You spot. I shouldn't say this on social media, but you're not allowed in the buildings, and the tour guides can get the license took off them to take you in the buildings. Okay? But because there was just three of us, and there was no one else around, we went into one of the buildings and we walked up this staircase. And if you imagine painted walls, painted green, the paint had fell off the wall and landed on the staircase. So there's just this little pile of dust, like a little pyramid of sand, just all the way up the skirting board. And no one had been in that. I don't think anyone had been in that building. For, for 20, 30 years and the paint had just fell off the wall and there was no wind to blow it away or foot traffic and that, that was really eerie and like dust there was a get we found a gas mask on the floor and you just think yeah this is bizarre yeah what's what's the story of that gas mask yeah it's, it's like it's like that dark tourism thing isn't it that's one of the famous examples yeah when, oh. when the war kicked off though like there was massive concern because Putin took a load of trucks there and parked a load of missiles and and different things, and everyone's like, oh my god, there's, you know, he's, he's taking over the power station. Well, I know why he was there, because I've been, it's because there's, there's acres and acres and acres of concrete, a massive wide road that you can land jets on. Yeah. Plus, no one's going to fire a missile at your troops when they're, when they're shielded by a nuclear power station. So it was very tactical for him to go there, and also it was the probably some of the best roads in, in, in Ukraine or surrounding it, because they needed it for the infrastructure to build a esophagus that they pushed over the top which is the biggest man-made structure movable in the world it's massive it's yeah, it's... yeah. you can't get your head around it in pictures yeah. until you stood there oh can you not is it just like more than yeah, you can... yeah. yeah and then the other power station next to it that they were building at the time the other one blew up the cranes are just still there with the hook swinging off them it's all right oh it's amazing no, I, I want think... to do something else like that. So if anyone's got any interesting places that you think I could go to, I've seen some trains abandoned on old railway lines and look pretty cool, but don't quite know where they are. But I'd love to go and see that kind of more of that stuff. I think one of the ones um, that I always get the name wrong, it begins with A and it's like this long, the forest in Japan that's sort of known as the suicide forest is an interesting one if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, Colombia is another one, sort of looking into past and like the the drug cartels and all that sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, I think Chernobyl's number one on that list of like places you want to see because it's yeah. I don't even know how to explain it. And it's probably hard even. I mean, that paint thing's not one I've ever heard. It's quite a quite yeah. Amazing. It literally looked like someone had, like it looked like green sherbet, and it was just you know if if that's the that's the wall. Can you see this or not? If, if that's the wall there and that's the yeah. floor, there's just this pile about this height of the paint had just fell off over time and degraded and it's just stacked up just perfectly. And you just think, yeah, no one's been in here. It's like an egg timer. It just fell on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the trees have just completely took over the building. Yeah, it's, it's quite surreal, that. And is it true there's a bunch of dogs or is that not true? Yeah, there's loads of dogs there. And, and when you go, like, they have a bucket to put money in to feed the dogs but right. i don't know whether the, i don't know whether the security just pocket the money and feed the dogs or anything i don't quite know <laughs> but our tour guide he actually worked there when it when it first happened he was a mathematician and he worked there when they were trying to clear it all up and he there was pictures of him stood outside buildings like that <laughs> and um and then he's like and then that's the building now so i've got pictures on my phone of him stood next to this building with all these tulips in front and then now it's silver birch trees that have just took over Wow. The supermarket's got the trolley still inside, and there's a place where the helicopters were landing. So they they were they basically like it all kicked off. So they were bringing helicopters in, and they were grabbing the sand out of the uh, long jump pitch in the sports hall, sort of like sports stadium, and dumping it on the reactor to try and put it out. 
and we had these like Geiger counters for measuring radiation and there's circles on the tarmac painted like number 10 and 11 where all the helicopters were landing and if you put the Geiger counter where the helicopters are landing the radiation in the tarmac is higher because the helicopters were catching the radiation as they flew over and then landed on the tarmac it's really weird Jesus <laughs> that's me best trip I've ever done oh no wonder yeah uh, no. Finland's pretty good Snowmobiling in Finland at the Valtra factory, that's pretty good, but, fin- uh, but uh, Pripyat was amazing. Snowmobiled in Iceland before, until a Yangjakur place, gorgeous. Um, just felt like you're out of nowhere. I actually feel like there's something I definitely have to say. Someone called Wallace has just joined. That's very exciting. I don't know any other Wallaces. Um, not only, listen, it's been a pleasure, mate. We probably could have sat and chatted for a bit more, but my lack of a charging ability where I am has is, is, is been my, my undoing. But thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate it. Hope you've enjoyed the chat yourself. Yeah, yeah, of course. I can't believe we've been talking for an hour and 40 minutes. I know it's not all been live, but... <laughs> yeah, well, we came on at eight, didn't we? But I think, yeah. I think it's been live at about 25 past, so it's been an hour and a quarter or something like that. I, I thought it was going to be finished like that because it was rapid as we kicked off. I'm also conscious there's a few questions in the question box thing that I haven't been able to get to, uh, so apologies about that. If maybe maybe if there's the demand, send, send some questions in. Maybe we could do it again in a month for another half an hour, an hour or something. Yeah. Yeah, and we can try and, well, because I know it's coming, I'll make sure I've got charge on my phone. I'll be happy to do something like that. Maybe it could be something we could do, uh, you know, maybe create some kind of, not recurring thing, but from time to time at different stages of, of the year for yourself, say what's happening. Yeah. Um, we can organise something like that. That'd be top notch. Uh, but yeah, if you've enjoyed listening, whether that is on the live or you're listening as this is released, which will be 17th of March, I think. Um, I don't know what the episode is next week. I'm fairly filmed ahead. We're filming this in mid-February at the minute. Uh, but yeah, come along for another episode of the R2 cast. Thanks for coming along. Thank you for everything joined on live and uh, thank you to yourself, Willie. Yeah, thanks for having me. Cheers. I'll see you soon. Yeah, you too, man. We'll see you all later. I hope you've enjoyed another excellent episode of the R2 cast. I just want to take this moment to quickly thank our primary sponsors once more, A-Plan Rural. If you follow A-Plan on social media, you'll see the work they're doing to really promote British farming and back our industry. It's been a pleasure working alongside A-Plan Rural so far, and long may it continue. The values of A-Plan Rural runs perfectly in line with the whole mantra of Rural to Kitchen, and I'm glad to have them on board. Check them out on Instagram at A-Plan Rural and on Facebook at A-Plan Rural Insurance. See you for the next podcast.